I'm Pastor Barb. I have met most of you now after we've been here almost a year. Some of you are new faces to me. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, I'm the discipleship pastor here, and I also lead the young adults. And for those of you who don't know, young adults are anyone who are 18 to 35, married or single. So when Pastor Josh mentioned the loving the discount, we're hoping that anybody who is 18 to 35 who are married or single will come and spend some time with the discounters, which I happen, my husband and I happen to be in that discount club, though I don't think he likes to admit it as much as... No, (laughs) he gets to apply for Social Security in a couple of weeks, so I'm a little older than he is. Um, So please, there's a sign-up out there if you could sign up to let us know so how much sandwiches we have to uh, purchase for that event. Uh, It's a pleasure for me to be here this morning to be able to bring you the message while Pastor Troy and uh, Kim are in Colorado celebrating not only their grandson's first birthday, but their oldest daughter's birthday, which happens to be the same day. So uh, hopefully my voice is a little funny because I've been uh, fighting a cold since before Christmas, and um, if John can hand me my water, I may need that. So if you could bear with me with that, that would be great. Um, In today's message, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. And we're going to look at what Mark has to say about God's kingdom and our continued theme of what it means to follow Jesus. If you were here or if you watched online two weeks ago, Pastor Troy shared with us that John the Baptist came to prepare the Jewish people for the coming Messiah. It was a corporate act of worship that Jesus also participated in. Then last week, Pastor Troy shared how listening to God was a very important part of the Jewish worship. He shared about the Shema, which is located in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It's a very important part of my daily prayer life also. The Shema is the centerpiece of the morning and evening Jewish prayer services. John and I have a daughter who is, a boyfriend is a uh, practicing Jew, so we understand some of the things that the Jews still believe to this day. It is the essence of Judaism. And I should add, it should be the essence of Christianity, too. It says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Mark tells us at the beginning of his gospel that hundreds of people came to the Jordan River for the baptism, for the repentance of the forgiveness of their sins. They longed for a Messiah to save them as as promised by the prophets of the Old Testament. Now last week, Pastor Troy took us to the passage of John where we learned how Philip and Nathaniel followed Jesus because they listened to God. Now I imagine a majority of us in this room who call ourselves Christians started our faith walk by listening to Bible stories either in Sunday school 
or from our church pulpits, maybe from our parents, our grandparents, our friends, or maybe from our neighbors. Those sources and the people were sharing God's message. His voice was what you were hearing from the people that were sharing with us. Because of these stories, the Holy Spirit quickened to our spirit the realization that we were sinners in need of a Savior. And as we grew in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we understood more and more what it meant for Jesus to die on a cross for our sins, what it meant for him to be buried and for him to rise again from the dead, thus conquering death, so that if we believed in our heart and confessed in our mouth that he is Lord, we can be in right relationship with the Father and move forward in life through the hope of Jesus Christ. I could stop right there because that preaches. Praise God. I mean, that's it, right? But I'm getting ahead of the story of Mark and today's message. I'm jumping to the end of Mark into the gospel stories, into the epistles and all the other stuff in the New Testament, and we are only at the beginning. So let's get back there. Because there are some exciting things for us to explore and involve ourselves in as we walk through this gospel. As much as I can't wait to see Jesus face to face, I have so much I still want to do in this earthly journey, and I hope you do too. So if you have your Bibles or your phone, Turn to Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. Now, I encourage you, if you have a paper Bible, it's okay to take notes in it. Actually, writing in your Bible is a good way to look back and refresh yourself what you hear in church on Sunday mornings. It's kind of fun to go back. I take a, John and I will date, put the date that we heard the message and we will write things in there and it's kind of nice to go back later and see some of those sermon notes right there in our Bibles. I know some of you think that your Bible is so precious that you can't write in. So keep that one and then get yourself one that you can write your notes in. <laughs> um, Think of it as a legacy to leave for your grandchildren or your children to see what you've written in there in your prayers. But that's a side note. <laughs> in verse 14, Mark tells us, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, at this point, the people hearing Jesus didn't know the rest of the story. Kind of like Paul Harvey, who didn't know the rest of the story. They are looking toward the cross. Unlike us, they couldn't read the last page and see how it all play, play, plays out. All they know is John the Baptist is no longer on the scene. Because of the other Gospels, we can assume that John has been beheaded by Herod. And Jesus has begun his earthly ministry. Many of those 
Jesus is now talking to in Mark, especially John's followers, believe Jesus is the one who will set up an earthly kingdom and vanquish the Romans and any other Jewish oppressors. Finally, the Jewish nation will rise again like in the days of King David. Well, what else can it mean when he says the kingdom of God is near? It is this tension of what we expect to happen, or what they expect to happen, and what really happens that makes the cross the centerpiece of Mark. Now, we live in a time when we can look back at the cross and are privileged to know what those first disciples didn't know. In Jesus' day, the Jews thought of a kingdom as a place on earth over which a king rules. Now, in our world, we don't have many kings left that rule. King Charles of England isn't much of a ruler since Parliament really runs the country. Some call North Korea a hermit kingdom, but it doesn't have a king as much as it has a dictator. The Jews say they wanted a ruler, someone with ultimate authority, someone to set rules making the Jewish people the best and everyone else less than. Now, if you remember, having a king really didn't work out for them the first time around. They had more bad kings than they had good kings. And after reading First and Second Chronicles and First and Second Kings, one would think the Jews would not want to repeat history. But as you know, we're not very good at not, or we are very good at repeating history, which I don't know is a good thing or not, right? Um, yet believing in a tangible king seems easier and better than believing in a king that we cannot see or touch. They thought the Messiah was going to fix all that. Now today, Jews are still waiting for the Messiah. I've talked to my daughter's boyfriend and they said that Jesus hasn't fulfilled all the prophecies, that's why they're still waiting for the Messiah. And I think the one prophecy that he supposedly hasn't fulfilled is that he didn't come back as a ruler. He hasn't set up the Israel as the kingdom and, and did all those things that they wanted them to do back even in his day. And we as Christians wait for the Messiah to come the second time so he will set up his earthly kingdom. That's biblical. We know Jesus will return again. He said he would. But there are some Christians that spend all their energy in prayer life begging that Jesus to return now as if God has no power in, in the world until Jesus returns. I'm not saying that any of us in this room do that, but I do know some Christians who do. They speak of last days and the return of Christ as if they forget what Jesus said in John 14, verses 25 and 26. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said. Until Jesus returns to earth, we have the Holy Spirit. I mean, no offense, but God's kingdom is here now, and we are to be living like it, like we know the kingdom is now. In Aramaic, the primary language of Jesus, the word kingdom is malku, and is pointed not so much to the place of royal rule as to the rule itself. Where we read kingdom in Mark, we might substitute rule or reign or sovereign authority. When Jesus said the Malku of God is near, he was pointing to the nearness of God's authority and power. Think about it this way. When you say my parents' authority, there are certain things that we did as children that we knew that our parents weren't going to like even if they were in the room with us. I'm going to tell you a little story. I might have told some of you guys this story before if you know me. But I, my uncle um, is only 10 years older than me. And when he was younger, he liked to make beer and drink beer. My grandmother detested anything with alcohol. And when we were, she, he was, I think she was almost 50 when he was born. So when he was in his 20s, we were at a 4th of July party. And I asked Uncle Roger where his beer was. Grandma could hardly, you know, she was older, she was in the house, she wouldn't have known that Grandpa or that Uncle Roger had any beer. And I, so I asked him, I was probably 18, 19, so he was 29 or whatever. So Grandma was in her late, you know, in her 60s. And he said to me, I don't have any beer here. I said, why not? And he said, Mama doesn't like beer, and I'm not bringing beer around Mama. And I said... Grandma's not going to know you have any beer. And he said, Mama doesn't like beer, and I'm not bringing beer on Mama's property. Mama's authority was near. Uncle Roger says he doesn't remember that story, but I'll tell you what, in all my years, I remember that story like standing right there. It stuck with me. Uncle Roger respected his mom so much that he would not even bring beer near mom, his mama's house. That is what authority of God being near is. We will not violate God's authority, even though we can't see him and don't know that he is in the room with us or think he's not in the room with us. So Jesus is fulfilling the role of messenger in Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation that the God of Israel reigns. When I first got saved, I thought the announcement of Jesus, Jesus' announcement of the king being near meant something like, you can go to heaven after you die, and I need to get all my family saved, and I'm going to go tell them all that they're all going to go to hell if they don't get saved, even though they already all were saved. I was very exuberant for the Lord. Or if you are patient enough, you may not die and get to witness Jesus' second coming. And that's how I shared the good news. 
accept Jesus and you can go to heaven. I didn't worry about all the in-between. <laughs> now I realize that I had mistaken Jesus' primary message. Though his good news does relate to what happens after death or the second appearance on earth, it also has everything to do with this life now. In Jesus, God is beginning to reign on earth in a new way, in a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. Under God's sovereign authority, righteousness will triumph over injustice and multifaceted peace is filling the earth. I like grammar. John knows I like grammar. I know that's weird, but I like grammar. And it means when God says he's near, it means no one knows if God's sovereignty began at the conception of Jesus or before that, or when Jesus's ministry began. And we don't know when it'll end. God's Kingdom is near. It began and it is still here and it will continue. Through Christ, you and I can live today under the reign of God when we seek God's agenda for our lives, when we live for his purposes and his glory. When we bow in worship, we are experiencing God today in anticipation of that day when all earth will flourish under the glorious reign of God. So how do we do that? How do we live under the reign of God? We do it by living out the Shema. Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. We also do it by living out Jesus' two greatest commandments. Mark 12, 30 through 31 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Second, we do it by being holy. For I, the Lord, am the one who brought you up from the land of Egypt, that I might be your God. Therefore, you must be holy because I am holy. Talk about setting the bar high. God's people are to be holy even as God is holy. This is foundational for Mark as he tells the story of Jesus and his disciples. After Jesus tells the people to repent and believe the good news, Mark again wastes no time. Immediately, which is a word that Pastor Troy told us is over and over in Mark. He tells the story, and then, and then, and then. He jumps to Jesus calling his first four disciples. It reads, as Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. 
Mark doesn't tell, bother to tell us how Simon, Andrew, James, and John know Jesus, if at all, or well. From the other Gospels, we can surmise that Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist, and the four knew Jesus. We can also surmise because Jesus chose them, they were men who practiced Shema and believed in holiness. But Jesus is introducing a new kind of holiness, not one that separated them from the world, but put them in the midst of the world. These men were not men who chose their rabbi. They were working men chosen by a rabbi, which was not the norm. While our salvation is personal, our following Jesus as a disciple is not an individual pursuit. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. When we say we are Christians, we, were, we are saying we are on Jesus's mission. And thus we are to act as the holy people of God, not a holy person of God. We have all been invited to take up our cross after Jesus. The possibility of participation in this holiness renewal movement is open and inclusive. Now that bothered the religious leaders of Jesus' day, especially those whom holiness is maintained by separation. And it bothers some religious leaders today. Instead of inviting people into relationship with Jesus, in general, too many Christian churches for too many years have worried about how those sinners, those blemished, those demonized, those different, those mentally ill, those homeless, those addicts, those who were incarcerated can fit into our building in our programs. We say, I invite people to church, but they won't come. Or should I invite that person? How will they act? Well, I'm here to tell you Jesus rarely went to church. He rarely went to the home of an upstanding church member. He rarely ever praised the holy man or holy woman. He went to where the outcast slept. He ate with the worst of the worst. He touched the leper. He offered encouragement to the mentally ill. But I'm no different than you. I get nervous. I have butterflies in my stomach at the thought of going out to those shady places and meeting with those people. I'm not one that likes my personal space invaded. I'm somewhat of a germophobic. I probably would never go alone to a certain place, nor would I suggest anyone go alone to some dangerous places. I take Jesus' advice. He even sent his disciples out two by two. In Matthew, he says to his disciples, which includes us, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Wisdom does not equal dishonesty, and innocence does not equal gullibility. Now, of course we want people to come to church. 
We don't, do want to make disciples of those who come to Christ, and I do believe getting involved in church Bible studies, small groups, youth group, young adult group, upwards, etc., is important in helping each of us grow in our faith. And the quickest way to lose our faith is by to stop gathering with believers. But I also believe we have to be willing to spend time in an unbeliever's world. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying act like an unbeliever and do as an unbeliever does. I said spend time in their world. They'd probably be more willing to come to church because you showed an interest in what they're interested in. For Jesus, Mark, and even John Wesley, who is our mentor in the Church of the Nazarene, the Shema and the call to love our neighbors sum up God's good purposes and Christian holiness. So what does that mean for us today? First, don't ever lose sight that the kingdom of God is here. We know Jesus already defeated Satan, and it's only a matter of time when he returns to establish a new heaven and earth. However, in the meantime, with the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in each believer, we are on a mission to be ambassadors for Christ. Jesus is calling his disciples not into work to change people, but into relationship with people. It is not our job to save people from themselves, but to lead them to Christ. But to show them what living for Jesus is like. Jesus calls us to be in relationship with each other and with him. Jesus calls us to fish for people in order to break down the walls that separate us. To carry each other's burdens, to care for our neighbors, not just the ones we know, but especially those we don't know. Not just the ones we like, but maybe especially those we don't like. Care for those that we are uncomfortable with, or not uncomfortable with, but maybe we are supposed to care for those that we are uncomfortable with, and maybe those we don't understand, and those we just don't get. In a world filled with so much anxiety, so much despair, wouldn't the news that at the heart of the universe there is a loving God who actually does care for us, who walks with us, and ultimately transforms even the shadow of death into new life and hope? In a world such as ours today, wouldn't that be the best news one could hear? And isn't that our news to share? People who fish go to where the fish are. And they offer them something compelling. And Jesus' metaphor of fishing for people, that is the purpose. Go where the people are and offer them something compelling. Not for an ulterior motive, but only because Jesus first did that for us. He came to where we were in our very earthiness. 
of our human condition and offered us his good news. Nothing surprises me anymore, but I can tell you, when Jesus found me, I was at, I wasn't a bad kid. I was a straight A student. I obeyed my parents. I really didn't do anything wrong. I was a firstborn child, so I did, I had to set the bar. I did pretty much everything right on the outside. But in the inside, I was a mess. And Jesus came. And each of you have your own story. And Jesus met you in your very earthiness and offered you his good news. So in practice, this means we are to imitate God rather than the ways of the world. Like the Old Testament priests, we are to see our whole lives as dedicated to God's service. Yet our service happens not in the church, not in the tabernacle or the temple, but in the world. As we offer all that we are to God as a living and holy sacrifice, as Paul says in Romans 12.1. Thus, our holiness does not remove us from the world. Rather, it sends us into the world, even as God sent his son into the world, which is in John 17, verses 9 to 19. We serve the Lord by serving others, living for God's purposes and according to his standards. We imitate him by loving others, even as he has loved us. I don't know about you, but I want to live like the Jesus of Mark. I don't want to live a life of holiness that has a list of rules that separate me from my pagan neighbor, but I want to live like a holy Jesus that expresses love to that pagan neighbor. A pure love for their soul, not their ways. For the Jesus in Mark, holiness lived out in discipleship is contagious, outgoing, all-embracing, and transforming. I think there's a lot of people in this room who can tell you that because somebody lived holiness around them, they are here today and they have been changed and they have been transformed. And I am going to invite those who need Christ in their life, who need to have what I said at the beginning, who need to know and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. If they are willing, if they want to, they can come down to the altar and we will pray with them. But more importantly, if you are a Christian and you are a believer, but you have not said, I'm going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly out into the world, that you've stayed with your, in your little bubble because you felt it was safe, that you also decide today that you are going to transform and start looking at your neighbor differently. And your neighbor doesn't necessarily mean the one living across the street from you or next door. It's somebody that you know needs just a touch from the Lord. Lenny said earlier that maybe it's somebody who just needs a smile, somebody that you need to go next door and give cookies to. Maybe it's somebody at the grocery store. A long time ago, I tried to sell Mary Kay makeup. It didn't go over very well. 
But one of the practices we were supposed to do is walk around the grocery store and not look down at our cart. We were actually supposed to walk around and smile at people in the grocery store. I don't know about you, I don't do that. And if I see somebody in an aisle that I know and I haven't done my hair and my makeup that day, I go, oh, I'm going to go that way. And I turn around to try to avoid them. I went to the store yesterday morning when I knew everybody was at Upwards or at Phyllis's funeral because I figured I wouldn't run into any of you because I didn't have my hair done. I need to change. And maybe you need to change too. So right now I'm going to pray. If you need the Lord for the first time, the altars are open. If you need to be Mark, like in Mark, and have holiness and follow Jesus and be discipled and be a, disi- a leader of discipleship, I mean, the altars are open. You know, I can make a joke about it, but living for Jesus is now. And if you think you're too old, as long as you can pray... Lenny said that too, a praying church. It doesn't matter if I'm a good speaker up here, if I'm a bad speaker, if the music doesn't go right, whatever. If you have breath and you see somebody walking past your window or in a car, you don't know. I learned a long time ago, I have a daughter who isn't following the Lord. And you know what one of my prayers are? That somebody who's a Christian will talk to her in the grocery store. We'll talk to her at a restaurant. And you know, there's another mom somewhere asking, who has a child maybe living in Baker City, asking the Lord to have one of us pray for their homeless child who's living in Baker City, to talk to them. And how are we going to answer that mom's prayer if we avoid them? And you know what? That changes my thinking when I know that maybe somebody in Texas is going to talk to my daughter and show her something that she's not going to listen to her mom about. So right now, the altars are open, and let's just pray. And Lenny, if you're here, can, if you want to come up and play something for us while we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege for me being able to bring your word to you, Lord. This was for me as much as it was for you. I can come become complacent and sit in my house on the corner, Cedar and D, and see the people walking to Albertsons back and forth and, and say, thank you, I have a car and I don't have to do that. But Lord, I ask that you break my heart for some of these people in this town. Let me know that I need to stretch my boundaries and, and start loving on some people, Lord. And I ask that if there's anybody in this room, Lord, right now that needs your Holy Spirit to nudge them to know that they need to have you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that I hope, ask that you just melt their hearts and let them know that you love them and that we will walk alongside them and we will show them what it means to follow you. And for each of us who have claimed to be a Christian for a day, a week, years, decades, I ask you, Lord, that you just open our hearts and show us 
how we can fish for people and bring them the kingdom now, how we can live a life of holiness inside the world and not hide in our little comfortable zones and just have our Christian friends. Not so much that we can change people and make them be church people, but that they can see that, God, you love them, that you care about them, that you went to them and you want them in their in their brokenness and that you can bring them healing. Lord, I ask that you bless them. I ask that you open their eyes to those that are hurting around them. That this week, when they're in the grocery store at work, they open, they lift their heads and see. That they listen to the Holy Spirit when they say pray or talk or smile or offer. I ask you, Lord, that you just go with these people this week and, and make a difference, not only in at make Baker Naz, but also in this community, that the hurting know that this is a place of comfort, that the cold know this is a place where they can get not only warmth for their bodies, but also for their souls. And we just thank you, Lord, for being here today and for your spirit that's flowing into this room. And we give you all thanks and honor through the power of the Holy Spirit in your name, Jesus. Amen. Go and be ambassadors for Christ this week. And if you see me in the grocery store looking down into my cart and not smiling, call me out on it. And I take permission to call you out too. Go in peace. Peace.